now. I don't know who he is behind that mask of his, but I do know when we need him. And we need him now. For some reason, the cool bars in Hollywood have to be hard to find and have to have no sign. This is the Cocktail Nation. This week, Gary Wells joins us to talk Valley of the Dolls in Words with Wellsy. Plus, in Lounge Life, I've got a very cool turntable to share with you. And we tell the story of the assassination attempt on Castro, plus some swank advice coming your way. Let's kick off with Stereophonic Space Sound Unlimited and Girl from Acapulco on the Coctonation.
Gotten Nation, the Swangos and Broken Glass Beach. You can pick up their latest album, Curious Tourist, via Bandcamp. Cocktail Nation. Words with Wednesday. You're a librarian, Mr. Wordsworth. You're a dealer in books and two-cent fines and pamphlets and closed stacks and the musty insides of a language factory. Words, Mr. Wordsworth. It's too long, people. The trouble is, you gotta keep taking them. The second I stop, I eat like a maniac. But the feeling is great, it sets you on fire like you could dance for hours. And I bless you every night for the red ones, they saved my life. Oh hey, have you ever tried a yellow one? They're called Nembutols. If you take one of each, a red and a yellow, wow, you really sleep. I learned it by experiment. The red one puts you to sleep fast, but it wears off in six hours. The yellow works slower but lasts longer, so I figured, why not try both? I only do it on weekends. Sometimes I sleep 12 hours. Hey gang, I'm Gary Wells from Vintage Leisure at soulrideblog.com, and I'm here with another book recommendation for the Cocktail Nation. This time we're looking at Valley of the Dolls by Jacqueline Suzanne from 1966. Many of you are well aware that Valley of the Dolls, the debut novel from Jacqueline Suzanne, one of the many vintage leisure players I run across, who hail from Pennsylvania, was a sensational bestseller. The book was the highest selling novel of 1966 and, at over 31 million copies sold, it is one of the best selling novels of all time. Today we'll not only be talking about the book itself, but of the whole Valley of the Dolls world that sprang up in its wake. In post-war New York City, three girls navigate various aspects of the entertainment industry. Beautiful, high-class New Englander Ann Wells doesn't care for the limelight, but only wants to be released from small-town life and find love. Neely O'Hara is a talented teenager who emerges from supporting player on Broadway to scale the heights of success in Hollywood. And gorgeous Jennifer North knows she is not talented, but uses her stunning figure to maximum advantage. Neely becomes one of the biggest stars of her time, but ruins her career with her obnoxious attitude. Happiness eludes tragic Jennifer, who finally succumbs to disease. And love-struck Anne follows her heart and gets battered and bruised all along the way. And, of course, all three girls, to varying extents, become abusers of dolls, amphetamines, and barbiturates. The book took off like a rocket. Reviews were generally unfavorable and ran along the lines of sensational if poorly written. By the time of Jacqueline Suzanne's death in 1974, Valley of the Dolls was in the Guinness Book as the best-selling novel in publishing history. The year following the book's release saw the film adaptation hit theaters. Now, I don't have time to defend the movie here, but it does sit on my top 25 list of favorite movies. The film was just as sensational as the book and has gone down in camp history as a classic. There was a trashy sequel released in 1970 that had little to do with the original novel or film, and Suzanne sued filmmaker Russ Meyer. In 1981, there came the TV miniseries Jacqueline Suzanne's Valley of the Dolls, followed later by a 1994 late-night soap opera version that ran for one season. Finally, in 2001, came the sequel novel Jacqueline Suzanne's Shadow of the Dolls by Ray Lawrence, which somehow I own, having miraculously found it in the wild. All of this and more, though, springs from the original novel. Written at a brisk pace and filled with dialogue, Valley of the Dolls will not disappoint, as long as one keeps one's expectations low and accepts the book for what it is. It is exactly what every reviewer has ever said. 
trashy, short on substance, but long on salaciousness. The book takes place between 1945 and 1965. Classy Ann Wells can't wait to get to New York and leave her small hometown behind. She idealizes love and will not settle for anything less than a fairy tale. Until she meets handsome Lion Burke. He will not be tamed, but Anne cannot live without him. She lives while they are together, but it is only a half-life when they separate. When he comes back into her life, they reunite and eventually marry, but circumstance intervenes and happiness proves elusive. Anne's first real friend in the big city is Neely O'Hara. Neely is a worldly teenager who hopes to become a Broadway star. With Anne's help, she scores a plum role and parlays her success into Hollywood stardom. However, she becomes a hopeless drunk and pill popper and loses it all and winds up in a sanitarium. And she's rotten. Her character is irredeemable and her career is a turnstile of success and failure, obnoxious behavior and excess. Jennifer North is a practical beauty from a middle-class family. Her mother constantly berates her and harasses her to send money home. Jen has no delusions regarding her talent and forges a career where she can modeling, marrying a successful singer, and making softcore French films. Jennifer's demise is genuinely devastating in both the novel, where it is more so, and the film. This is down to two things. The character was based on actress Carol Landis, a friend of Jackie Suzanne's and a victim of suicide herself. And secondly is the character's portrayal on film by another tragic beauty, Sharon Tate. Like most novels, when compared to film versions, Valley of the Dolls offers much more story and a few plot changes, some minor and some not so. The hardest change for me personally between novel and screenplay was novel Anne's hatred of her hometown. The quality I found in the screen version sprang from the restorative powers of Anne's small town in winter. But the thing about the book is that it was certainly audacious for its time, but it seems less shocking in today's world. The film is outrageously entertaining, bright and splashy and infinitely watchable, due to its craziness, sure, but also for the deeper notes it manages to sound. With the novel, though, you can curl up in a chair and get through it over the weekend and feel like you are communing with the millions that did the same in the 1960s. It's not great, but who cares? So to wrap up, I can highly recommend Valley of the Dolls by Jacqueline Suzanne. You can find plenty of copies for sale at Abe Books. If you'd like to read the full review of this book and of the film, you can head over to my website. I'd like to thank Coop Cooper and Cocktail Nation. Once again, this is Gary Wells from SoulRideBlog.com, and I'm encouraging you to pick up a book. Words with Wellsay. Cocktail Nation. You've got to climb Mount Everest to reach the Valley of the Dolls. It's a brutal climb to reach that peak. You stand there, waiting for the rush of exhilaration, but it doesn't come. You're alone. And the feeling of loneliness is overpowering. I never meant to start that climb. I took the first step the day I left New England and headed for New York. It wasn't easy to leave that wonderful old house. I wanted a marriage like Mom and Dad's, but not yet. First I wanted new experiences, new faces, new surroundings. 
Lawrenceville would be there forever. Coop Cooper from the Cocktail Nation. Kiss your mother with that mouth. The Cocktail Nation.
happened in Montana didn't happen in Havana didn't happen in Atlanta, GA. It happened in Monterey long time ago. It happened to happen in Monterey, Mexico. Stars and steel guitars and luscious lips as red as wine. Stole somebody's heart and it was mine. It happened in Monterey without thinking twice. I left her and threw away the key to paradise. My indiscreet heart longs for the sweetheart I met in Mel Tomei, it happened in Monterey. He said, I can't deny that I would have been more pleased to be a bestseller. But if you're constantly working to good rooms and to good crowds, records are only frosting on the cake. Yet my managers kept bugging me for the big hit and to satisfy them. When rock erupted in the mid-1960s, I recorded some of the worst music you can imagine to no avail. Soon, Mel Tomei found himself managed to carve out a live living, playing in out-of-the-way clubs. As rock and roll solidified its domination of the airwaves, he briefly considered retiring from music and became an airline pilot, which is pretty amazing. We also played Hugo Montenegro and his orchestra with solos, Samba on the Cocktailation from the Man from Uncle soundtrack. Let's take a look at Lounge Life magazine, your free retro flipboard magazine. Links via the website cocktailation.net. Now, we all know that Jay Leno has some amazing cars in his collection. He might have a bit of a problem, as Jerry Seinfeld suggested. You can check out 10 rare and unique cars in Jay Leno's garage. And how about this? An invisible turntable that makes playing your vinyl look almost magical. You've got to check this out. Uh, check out this story because uh, there's a little video on there. And this is probably one of the coolest 
turntables I've ever seen. You can literally mount it on the wall. And UK Distributor Network has announced a flash sale offering 40% off their amazing soundtrack collections from various ITC spy crime shows from the great age of British TV with shows like The Prisoner, Man in the Suitcase, uh, Champions and many, many more. So uh, links via the Lounge Life magazine. Of course, if you come across any stories you'd like me to include there, uh, sometimes uh, various listeners send me some stories. I'd love to hear from you. Thanks to James Emery, he often sends me some stories to put up on Lounge Life magazine. And you can find links via the website cocktonation.net. On the Cocktail Nation Coupe Goes Deep. Searching for a new laptop online is basically forcing your current computer to dig its own grave. Very deep. Cocktail Nation.
Cocktail Nation. Cocktail Nation. Tiki Delights, the Sneaky Tiki Spy. And we also played Los Shimmy Shakers and No Tell Motel. Wonder what goes on there. What if it's rented by the hour? Today, much more stuff going on. The CIA at one point during the Cold War decided to assassinate Fidel Castro. When I heard this story, they came up with several ideas which included giving Castro poison cigars gifting him with a scuba suit lined with a skin-eating fungus and stabbing him with a poison needle inside a pen. None of these methods worked, and several were scrapped before even being attempted. Oh, and not all of the plots were assassination attempts. The CIA also wanted to spray Castro's broadcasting studio with an LSD-like substance so he'd trip out while giving one of his speeches and hopefully sound really silly. And they also wanted to dust his shoes with a substance that would make his beard fall out. These didn't come to fruition either. I guess nobody considered a sniper. Well, that's about it, Stuff fans. We'll have more for you at another time. Thank you. Bye-bye. 
Cocktail Nation. Broadcasting from the center of Sydney. Tell me where the bomb is. Ten seconds or you're dead. I have a better idea. How about I simply kill you all? <laughs> the Cocktail Nation. Always dangerous. via the World Wide Web.
Cognition Steve Yeager, my favorite place in the world, Monte Carlo, and the Creed Taylor Orchestra with Dark Street. Love to hear from you. You can reach out to me via the socials and, of course, links via the website cocktonation.net where you can get in touch with me. Tell me what's going on in your town that's lounge and tiki. I'd love to hear from you. Swank. Ten times more addictive than marijuana. Swank advice with Coop on the Cocktail Nation. Don't let devices rule your life. A little while ago, I noticed that people just seem to pull out their phones willy-nilly whenever they're bored, or if they're at a dinner party, they're often checking the phone, having a look at it, like they're so important. I mean, you're not a doctor. Maybe a doctor needs to check his phone, but you don't have to. So I decided when going to parties, when going to meet with friends for coffee, go to a restaurant, catching up with friends and family, I have decided that I now put the phone on Do Not Disturb and I leave it in the car. There's no need to bring it out. The only time I might ever need the phone, really, could be an emergency. How often does that happen? But we've become so tethered. Now, I get the fear of leaving the phone at home, and I wouldn't encourage that. We do have them for a reason. can help you, can save your life. But you don't need to be looking at it every two seconds. So put the phone on Do Not Disturb. Let people miss you. Let them get the answering machine from time to time. Cocktail Nation.
Take the elevator up to Cooper's Penthouse, www.cocktailnation.net.
Cocktail Nation with Chino and Voodoo. Next week on the show, Jason Whiten from Spy Vibe, talking all things espionage. And I'm going to leave you with the Martini Kings, Wives and Lovers. Stay here.